cliffcentral.com. Let's get to JJ. He's got some sensible things to tell us about what's going on in African analysis. Now, I think, I suspect this may be our last African analysis for the year. So let's make a big fuss because uh, we will be coming back with it next year. Johannesburg Business School are back and they want to tell you even more about all of their programs that are happening and they really are doing an excellent job. You can find out more by visiting their page on cliffcentral.com or go and check out, especially if you're looking or someone in your family is looking to study at JBS next year, go and see what they offer. It's really worthwhile. They've got some amazing lecturers, some amazing courses. And as business schools go, you know, people are doing their MBAs because it is a surefire way to have people take you seriously in the business world. You've got an MBA, and if you get one from JBS, you know you're getting a good quality MBA too. So go and take a look. But here is JJ Cornish, and the reason we talk to him is to find out what happens in Africa, our big and diverse and amazing continent. So JJ, how are you? Bonjour, I'm immensely well, and I don't know why you suppose Mm. that I won't be here on the 19th. Is it because I wore that little crown of holly and danced with a champagne glass and made a fool of myself at your Christmas party. You were, I'm over there. You were. You were. Re- I'm over there. You know, I I saw you. You were holding court at the the Christmas party. People were listening to you. You were telling stories. It was actually fascinating. We've got to do a full interview with you at some point because we 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 only get to see you on this show what once every two weeks, and it's for fifteen minutes. So I think next time uh, next year we'll we'll sit down and do a proper interview. You've had unbelievable experiences in your life that I feel like we need to we need to hear some of those. So, um, Africanalysis, JJ, what do we got going on in Africa this week? Am I, am I talking to you or am I talking to your little Christmas goblin? That's a Swedish <laughs> goblin you have there. Is you it? know that. And they start, yes, I have, I have two Swedish grandchildren. And suddenly, out of nowhere, these two goblins appear at sort of time of Advent. And their lives change. And... Uh, they, they, well, I don't, I don't know where they hide for the rest of the year, but once they come out, life, uh, of course, with 18 degrees below zero, yeah. they need everything again. <laughs> right. Poor little buggers. <laughs> but that's a fair, beautiful little thing you have. Now, you know, I'm talking about uh, Sudan to, to start with, and that's it's rather sad. The United Nations political mission there, and the acronym is UNITAMS, which stands for the UN Integrated Transition Assistance Mission in in Sudan. Mm-hmm. Uh, it came in after the uh, junta started fighting with the rapid support forces, leaving uh, 25 people in million people in need of humanitarian aid, uh, forcing six million people from their homes, killing tens of thousands, you know, terrible business. But United Nations can't be in an area if the authorities don't want them to be there. That's the way it works. So now the junta's not happy about them being there. They say, you've got to go. So UNITAM says, okay, we'll go. And it'll take us three months to disengage. But don't for a moment suppose the UN is abandoning Sudan. We're there. And of course, they have had Peacekeeping forces, that's something else entirely that's done by the Security Council determines to send them there. And uh, and, and, and they've had them, them in Darfur. They've had South African members of that peacekeeping force. And, and the situation in Darfur is absolutely dire. It was the world's worst humanitarian crisis. At the moment, of course, it's been eclipsed 
Uh, but it, 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 it's pretty sad what is happening. It's, it's bearing the worst brunt of the fighting in Sudan. So uh, we, we, we wonder what will happen, why the junta can't stand to have UNITAMs there, because, of course, it points to the fact that both the junta and the rapid support forces keep fighting because the reality is both of them think they can win. And they don't mind what they're doing this to the Sudanese people. They'll keep fighting, and uh, somebody's got to be able to stop it. JJ, um, we're doing a, a new show later on this morning called Democracy 101, and we're going to look at definitional things like what is democracy, what is a republic. Uh, but you use the word junta, and I can see lots of people uh, go, mm, 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 we know what that is. But it's important also for us to just kind of explain what these things are. There's been a very famous junta in uh, Aung San Suu Kyi's, um, what is it called, uh, Myanmar. Yeah. Uh, but but in, in Sudan, it's basically any military group which seizes power, yeah. right? Indeed, yes. It's also called that uh, uh, a coup, in a coup, yes, which is yes, also yes. called a putsch. A and putsch, we're going to talk yes. about a putsch later. But uh, yeah, the, the, the thing is, the junta is then the, the military authority that rules the country. Mm. And, uh, you know, they have them all over Africa at the moment, sadly, when uh, with the return of the coups in Africa. As I say, we're going to talk about it in a, in, in a few minutes. The thing is, though, uh, you don't want juntas. You know, with your democracy, I wish I'd known about it because, mm. you know, I've observed elections in uh, 13 African countries. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, it's all very well to talk about elections. But mm. to have your elections come around every five years is very, very important to a democracy. But having elections doesn't make it a democracy. Yes. I mean, look at Zimbabwe, for example, and look right. at other countries. Look at Sudan has regular elections. Many of them do have. So that is important. But to the, the, it's the operation of the system, that very imperfect system as it happens, in between the elections that really makes a country a democracy. And I'm sure your experts are going to explain that to the uh, viewers and listeners. Yeah, I mean, we, we'd be talking to the, the deputy um, chief executive of the IEC, yeah. who's, who's really, I think, yeah. um, the person who we need to speak to about our elections and how they work. But let's return to Africa for a second, because... There's a newly formed alliance of Sahel states. Now, you've explained to us what the Sahel is. It's actually a region. Um, and and who are these these uh, who are these states, and, and what are they what are they trying to do? What, well, what's their purpose? Extends across the band of uh, the belt of Africa above the desert, above the Sahara Desert. Mm -hmm. Now, um, the Sahara Desert, of course, divides South Africa into the you know sub-Saharan and North-Saharan Africa. It's not right. the biggest divide in Africa. The biggest divide in Africa is the language divide right. between uh, Francophone and Anglophone Africans, in, in my experience. Yes. But this, the, there were five members, G5, the group of Sahel states, where the jihadis are very, very, very active. Mm. And they were Mali, Niger, Burkina Faso, and then Chad and Mauritania, were members of this G5, and it was very much set up too by the French, who uh, operated uh, and believed that the uh, answer to the jihadis was a military solution, which of course it isn't. It's a wow. it's a political and social solution. Why are people becoming jihadis to die, uh, and why are they prepared to die? Because fighting in uh, as a jihadi, fighting in 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 the is the only form of uh, 
job that these people can get. Right. And life is so desperate that they're prepared to die to change it. Anyway, in three of those countries, sadly, Niger, Mali, and Burkina Faso, there have been coups. Hmm. And the the regional grouping, ECOWAS, Economic Community of West African States, said in the last one with Niger, unless you restore constitutionality, we will come in and do it for you with a military solution. So these three banded together and uh, Mali, Niger, and Burkina Faso informed this Sahel states, uh, alliance of Sahel states and said, an injury to one will be an injury to all. You come in here militarily and mm -hmm. see what happens. Of course, ECOWAS would love to do it, Nigeria being the leader there, one of the leading countries. But to, to mount a military operation like that costs a huge amount of money. Right. In fact, Gareth, unless, unless you have the uh, United Nations backing you, uh, you, you, you can't afford to do it. And that's why ECOWAS hasn't done it. So these three have now withdrawn from the G5, which they see as sort of Western-oriented, and formed this alliance. And and it's a, it, they were unable, the G5 was unable to stop the jihadis. And it appears, right. I fear, that the, 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 this new alliance is not going to be able to do it either. And they've turned to people like the Wagner Group and to to Russia. Uh -oh. And they haven't managed to they haven't managed to turn things around either. The point is you've got to look into your own heart and see why. Why are the people fighting? Why are they doing this? Why are they prepared to die to overthrow us? Something has got to be wrong with this society, and that's what they've got to look at. And even though some of them might be nominal de uh, democracies in terms of votes. Yeah. When the junta, when the juntas take over, that that that's the end of it. And of course, they become red carded from the African Union. The African Union has, and it's a, 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 a one of its basic tenets that if a country has an unconstitutional change of government, in other words, an overthrow of a democratically elected government, then it's red carded. It can't vote and it can't take part in uh, debates at the United Nations. So uh, it makes a bit of a mess of that very, very troubled region in Africa. JJ, again, this is this is an area that's hardly known for its peace and stability. But but is this is this actually going to feasibly hold these putschists at bay? The, the, no, I, the, they're ruling now, and uh, some of them have said. Uh, well, we, we, elections are not a priority. We've got no. to restore order. Yeah. And the people who've had to endure the uh, fighting, uh, you know, from these terrorists effectively yeah. are saying, well, you know, the, the, the government was unable. And that's why Burkina Faso had no, not one but two coups. The government was unable to restore order. We've got to, uh, you know, let's hope the military can do so. And that is why, for example, the tailors in these areas are making Russian flags and making a fortune selling Russian flags. People go mm -hmm. to the street waving Russian flags. It's an act of sheer desperation. Wow. And, and, and that's the tragedy of it. But the governments, I mean, they've got no chance of stopping the jihad because the attacks continue. And these, these soldiers, now part of a, a ruling junta, are dying in these attacks. So it hasn't changed the situation. It hasn't changed or brought stability, which is what the people are craving. Uh, 
let's just turn our attention quickly to Central and East Africa. I mean, Rwanda is, is, is con- it continues to be held up by some as a paragon of kind of how Africa could operate if it had just a little more authoritarianism and uh, some consequences for people doing things. But other people are also very interested in this deal that Paul Kagame has with the British, uh, which is fascinating because they're trying to, the Brits are trying to what, export people they don't want yes. to Rwanda. Uh, Rwanda yes. gets money in return. They're trying to solve each other's very awkward problems in this way. How's that deal going? And, and what's happened with, uh, with Paul, Paul Kagame's big plan with Rishi Sunak recently? Well, the headline news is, of course, the death of the former Prime Minister Forston Twagira Mungu. Uh-huh. I like to say I like to say these uh, Rwandan names because uh, <laughs> you've got to practice them. They, they're not as difficult not as difficult as the Madagascar names. But Twagira Mungu, uh, he died in exile in Belgium, yes. and he was briefly the Prime Minister. He was a player though, and uh, he took advantage of the. Uh, feelings after the genocide and was there. But right. he, he had fallen out with uh, Paul Kagame, which is not a smart thing to do in Rwanda. And if you have, no. then it's a good idea to find somewhere else to live. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Possibly not South Africa because he's chased people into South Africa and killed them. Yeah? Sure. But anyway, he, Twagira Mungu, uh, he uh, for, tried to, uh, he opposed Kagame in the elections yeah. in 2003 and won a, a massive 3,62% of the vote. Uh, Paul Kagame doesn't like to have anything less than about 95%, you know? <laughs> exactly. So, so the, he, was, he was destined. He was destined for deadly things if he, didn't, if he didn't bugger off, which he did. But what is happening with this deal? Now, Ricky Sunak's trying to look like a tough guy. Yeah. He, the courts have said... We can't send the asylum seekers to Rwanda because there's a real danger that Paul Kagame will send them back to their country of origin, mm. which is back to certain death. It was co- it's costing the British taxpayer would cost four more than four million rand per asylum seeker to send them mm. to Rwanda, the six thousand four hundred miles away from his trouble. He has promised we will stop the boats. These are little boats risking the lives of their passengers to cross the channel. Now, they the numbers have increased, even though he has promised to, to stop it. And the British courts ruled the asylum-seeking exile absolutely illegal. So now he's gone and said, okay, I am now making a treaty with the Rwandans. I don't know what the terms of that treaty are, but maybe there will be in it a promise not to send them back to the country of origin. But in in pursuit of that treaty and in honoring that treaty, I'm going to satisfy the courts uh, that their misgivings about what could happen are are incorrect. Now, happily, for those who are really concerned for these asylum seekers and human rights groups and others definitely are, Ricky Sunak stands uh, no chance of winning the next election. So it will be the Labour government that determines what happens. But in order to look like a tough guy, and uh, Ricky Sunak trying to look like a tough guy is, uh, I don't know, it's like me trying to look like uh, a possible comrades winner standing <laughs> next to Bruce Fordyce yeah. at the start of that race, you know, right? or maybe dropping one sleeve of my singlet so that I look like Josiah uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Tanguere or something. Uh, it's just so silly. It's laughable. <laughs> 
and and a happily uh, laughable because you know imagine being that desperate to leave your country and yeah. seek succor in, in in the United Kingdom, and then suddenly be put on a plane and sent to some place like Rwanda, which uh, <laughs> nobody would want nobody would want to happen. So uh, that's a little drama that's going to play out until the election uh, next year. I don't know. He's had to get rid of his uh, cabinet minister, who just turned out to be, you know, a, a, a crazy-mouthed woman. Uh, and, oh yeah. Uh, she, she, tell me about. Yeah, tell me about was, her. I, I also I, want to hear about. She her. sounds exciting. Well, uh, tell us. Oh, no, we, we can't wait to hear about her. Well, well, she of course, <laughs> she of course was the one that was saying that. Uh, living rough and sleeping rough in England was, in fact, a lifestyle choice. And, oh. uh, you know, she oh, she was booted you, up you once mean, before and then came back. You mean Suella Braverman? Yes, Suella. Yes. It's not really her surname. There was She had another surname, which she changed that, I think, for political reasons. Now, she she's now the nasty person telling everybody how gutless Ricky Sunak was. Uh, the, you know that, that's that's the payment you get for bringing her back into government, but she happily, I mean, hoping she's going to disappear along with him uh, at the next election. But she was she was the person who who, who championed the Rwanda exile uh, pro program, and uh, I don't think she would have bothered yeah, with the with the court decision. She would have tried to ride roughshod over that one. Happily, he's got rid of her. Okay. Well, I mean, it sounds to me like uh, things are falling apart in Britain, and 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 that's not even yeah. that's not even uh, Rishi Sunak's fault necessarily. But I mean, it just sounds to me like it's chaos over there at the moment. And they well, don't know. Well, ask, they just ask don't know the, what to do with ask, all these refugees, right? Uh, mm. Ask your democracy expert if Britain is a real democracy oh, well, at this time. <laughs> you know, that's a good question. <laughs> how many yeah. how, how many prime ministers are there? Ask him. Who, yeah. If the United States is a real democracy at this yeah, time, you've got a very interesting set of questions ahead of you. Right, exactly. All right, well, thank you so much, JJ. Good to talk to you as always and uh, very useful information about what's happening in our immediate environs. And African Analysis is brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School. We'll see you for the last episode on the 19th. On the 19th, most certainly. Very good. Thank you, JJ. Thank you, JJ. Lovely. JJ Cornish. Cliffcentral.com.